Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Well, it is about six o'clock in the morning on Saturday, and there is snow on the ground. So I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, and most most people who listen to this are local people anyway, so you understand how crazy it gets when, when snow happens here. But uh, anyway, if you're listening and you're not from Raleigh, we don't get a whole lot of snow. So anytime it's in the forecast, everybody's freaking out. There's no bread or milk in the grocery stores. So it's, it's just a, a huge deal. And it is a massive deal to my three daughters. And so they are pro- they're very likely, as soon as they wake up, they will be up here and it'll be time to go out in the snow. So this this will certainly be a uh, multiple session recording here because I'm sure when they get up, we'll be gone. Anyway, hopefully by the end of last week's episode, you thought to yourself, I'm pretty sure this guy's a Calvinist. My goal was to defend Calvinism so well that you would think, you know, for sure that's what he believes. Now, I have the same goal for Arminianism. So today I'll be kind of role-playing an Arminian and defending that view. And so, you know, I struggled which side to cover first, Calvinism or Arminianism. There are a few ways that I could have done it. John Calvin, so... Notice that in the last two episodes, I never quoted John Calvin. So he gets attributed with this, this, these views a lot of the times, but he's just a theologian who wrote about this stuff. And so um, it, it kind of gets attributed to him. But Calvinists and Arminians, uh, too, will say, no, we, we don't, even though he wrote a lot about it, we're not going to Calvin as our like um, leader, right? You can't just pull any quote from Calvin and say, oh, if you're a Calvinist, you believe every single thing that John Calvin believed. It's not that way. Um, but he j- he just explained these concepts well, and so that, that he, he gets attributed to that, uh, that a lot. And, and Arminianism is kind of the same way. Arminius would, uh, would say, yes, we believe a lot of the things that Jacob Arminius believed, but you know, he's not like the ultimate authority. Our ultimate authority for both parties, the ultimate authority is the Bible. And so anyway, um, I could have, so I could have covered Arminianism first uh, or Calvinism. John Calvin died when Jacob Arminius was a child. And so Arminius was a student under Calvin's predecessor, Theodore Beza. But eventually Arminius began to, to deviate from Calvinist teachings, and so he started publishing some disagreements with with Calvin's teaching, and so this split began, and it was mostly a split amongst Calvinists. So some left Calvinism and sided with Arminianism. Now, after the death of Arminius in 1609, the Arminians convened in 1610 and issued a remonstrance. A remonstrance is a document of protest against some of the strict Calvinists. And in it were five articles that were dealing with the issues debated between Calvinists and Arminians. And it's these five articles of Arminianism that I will discuss today. Now, eight years after this remonstrance, the Synod of Dort convened, and that that was basically a committee that was dominated by Calvinists, and they published five doctrines condemning Arminianism. And so these became known as the five points of Calvinism, easily remembered as TULIP. So they, they it kind of goes back and forth. John Calvin lived before Arminius, but Arminius followers published these five articles first, and then you have TULIP. So I could have gone either way. But anyway, there, there's kind of the history of this disagreement. 
All right, so hopefully today will only take one week to cover Arminianism. I've already laid a lot of the groundwork in explaining, you know, Tulip in the last few episodes, and so today will feel more like a little bit of a compare-contrast. I'll, I'll kind of reference those Calvinist episodes some, and so if you haven't listened to episodes, let's see, this is this is episode 24, so if you haven't listened to episodes 22 and 23, stop and go listen to those first, and then come back to this one. Also, I do this disclaimer for each episode. There are wonderful men and women on both sides of this argument, and so I consider the Calvinist-Arminian debate an in-family debate amongst true believers in Jesus Christ. And so hopefully you will see that both sides are fighting for the truth of what is taught in the Bible. They desire for the Lord to be praised above all, and they want to see sinners come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That That's at the heart of all Calvinists and all Arminians. So this is an in-family, in-Christian uh, type of debate. It's different from a Christian debating a Muslim. So as always, if you have any questions, you can email them to me, bearchristianity at gmail.com, or you can also send me a message on Instagram at the Real Bear Martin. And this episode of Bear Christianity is sponsored by Toys Are Gone. From the founders of the once prosperous Toys Are Us comes a new revolution in toy management. When I was a kid, I got many of my toys from Toys Are Us. Now, Toys Are Gone is helping me get rid of my kids' toys. How much more can the playroom hold? Are you tired of hoarding thousands of dollars worth of toys only to have your children argue over the 50-cent toy they got from their Happy Meal? Not anymore. Toys Are Gone is an app which utilizes your phone camera to identify toys that haven't been played with in a specified amount of time. You can set this to one, three, or six months. Once the forgotten toys are identified, you can throw them in the trash or donate them to children who will actually appreciate them. Bear Christianity listeners receive $500 off their first month when they use the coupon code CLEANITUP. They will also receive six months of bonus features, including practice mode. Do you have whiny kids claiming you are throwing away their favorite toy? Enable practice mode and practice saying no to recordings of kids begging and crying. These recordings increase in intensity until you are ready to say no to your own children. Toys are gone. Get your house back. Details may vary. Some restrictions may apply. Roger Olson is an Arminian theologian and has written a few books on the topic we are discussing, Arminian Theology, Myths and Realities. That's that's one book. And then another one is Against Calvinism. So uh, also check out For Calvinism by Michael Horton. So these two men, Roger Olson and Michael Horton, they agreed to publish books from the same publisher and cover both sides of the argument. And so again, this discussion is in family. Both these men consider their theological opponent in this idea. They, they consider them to be true Christians. But Olson says this about Calvinists, in spite of their best efforts to avoid it, the good and necessary consequence of their soteriology, that the soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. So for Calvinists, it's this tulip concept that I covered in the last two episodes. So the good and necessary consequence of their soteriology, tulip, is that God is morally ambiguous, if not a moral monster. Now, it's really important to understand the, the tough language that's being used here. 
Olson is not saying that Calvinists truly believe that God is a moral monster. He is saying that if Calvinists follow their arguments of God's sovereignty to their logical conclusions, then God is the author of sin, making God, in Olson's mind, a moral monster. So both sides, Arminians and and Calvinists, have difficulties when you push their concepts to the logical conclusion. And that is why the argument continues. Again, the Bible plainly teaches that God is completely sovereign and in control of everything that happens. The Bible also plainly teaches teaches, we are responsible for the choices we make and implies that they are free choices. We are not robots. So Calvinists desire to honor God by praising his sovereignty and control. He is all-powerful. At the same time, they affirm God is loving and merciful, but with evil in the world, it's tough to see how an all-powerful God would, uh, would allow such evil. Much less, why would he ordain all of it before he even created the world? And so Arminians desire to honor God by emphasizing his love for all mankind, making it possible for them to be saved. However, God allows us to make free choices. He desires that we freely come to him, and the offer to to come to him must be genuine and genuinely universal. Now, a great book from the Arminian perspective is called Grace, Faith, and Free Will, and that's written by a guy named Robert Piccirilli. P-I-C-I-R-I-L-L-I. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm spelling Mississippi. So pick a really. Um, now, th- this is my favorite book so far from the Arminian perspective. And in case I didn't mention it, my favorite from the Calvinist side would be The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination by Lorraine Botner. And that's, or, or some people say Betner. Anyway, it's B-O-E. T-T-N-E-R, Lorraine Bettner. So if you're going to read, if you're just going to say, I want to read both sides of the argument, my recommendation would be Grace, Faith, and Free Will by Robert Piccirilli, and from the Calvinist side, The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. Those would be the, the two books that I would recommend reading. Now, uh, Piccirilli says in his book, Arminius' main point was to insist that all of God's saving works deal with men as sinners and that God must not be made the author of sin. Arminius understood that unconditional predestination does that. He, he, it essentially makes God the author of sin, is what he's trying to say. Um, Arminius also felt constrained to insist that election is Christocentric, meaning Jesus Christ-centered, and, and salvation is a redemptive work of Jesus Christ and not by any arbitrary decree. So here are the five points of Arminianism. Again, I'm kind of reorganizing them so they match up with TULIP. And so I'll kind of state uh, what the, the Calvinist version is in TULIP and then talk about what Arminians believe. All right? So the first one in TULIP is total inability or total depravity. And, and here's the Arminian perspective. This is a quote, that man could not, he does not possess the capability to obtain saving faith of himself or by the strength of his own free will, but stood in need of God's grace through Christ to be made the subject of its power. So here, Calvinists and Arminians agree on total depravity or total inability. And so, you know, we total inability or total depravity, man can do no good works towards salvation in and of himself. We are all born with a sin nature, and we cannot earn our way to God because of our sin. They, they completely agree on that. It's how we are freed from this sin that Calvinists and Arminians disagree. So Calvinists believe God regenerates his elect, and regeneration is it, it will absolutely lead to salvation. 
Arminians believe in what's called prevenient grace. So prevenient, another term for this would be preventing, enabling, and pre-regenerating. Now, when I say the word preventing, that, that's an older use of the term, and uh, preventing in that sense means it, it comes before. And so uh, I'm an eye doctor, and so we, we try to do things that would prevent uh, like a retinal detachment. And so you may have a laser procedure that helps prevent a retinal detachment from happening in the future. So preventing in in the way that Arminians are using it, it means coming before. So prevenient grace, preventing grace, enabling grace, pre-regenerating grace, that's all sort of talking about the same concept. And so here's another Piccarelli quote. He says, pre-regenerating grace is that work of the Holy Spirit that opens the heart of the unregenerate to the truth of the gospel and enables them to respond positively in faith. And so the main difference would be because of total inability or total depravity, both both sides believe we are we are sort of blind to our sin. We are dead in sin. We um, we can do nothing to save ourselves. And so, for the Calvinists, God changes our heart, and and we will be you know in, in the elect, and they will be saved. In Arminianism, God gives this prevenient grace to everybody. So it is. He doesn't have to do it. It's his gracious act. But he he gives prevenient grace to everybody, essentially opening our eyes to to sin and enabling us to respond to Jesus Christ in faith. Some verses to support this, John 1, 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And so when Jesus comes, he, he is the true light. He, he reveals that to everyone. In Acts 16, 14, this is talking about Lydia, and who was a, a wealthy woman, and she was basically going to like a Bible study with the Jews, and Paul comes on the scene. And so it says in Acts 16, 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And in John 6, 44, now you heard this verse a lot from the Calvinist episodes. John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so for, from an Arminian perspective, no, yes, nobody can come Nobody can come to Jesus unless first the Father enables them to come to Jesus. That's that's how an Arminian would read that verse. So both agree that God is the one who initiates salvation. Uh, he either regenerates them, as Calvinists believe, or it, from the Arminian perspective, he gives them prevenient grace. So both agree we cannot save ourselves. God must act first. Here's another Piccarelli quote. Arminians believe that this gracious work is performed for the elect and non-elect alike. Basically, everyone gets prevenient grace. Some who experience this pre-regenerating grace believe and are saved. Others are brought to exactly the same point of possibility, but reject the gospel and perish forever. So basically, everybody is on the same level. God, God gives his grace to everybody. Therefore, God shows equal love to everyone. He loves all of his children. Now, as a young Christian, I completely, uh, I did not understand the the total inability from, from either side. I actually thought that I was the one who acted first for my own salvation. I, I did not have this concept of needing to be regenerated or, or have prevenient grace. I thought I was the one who chose to follow God, and that is why I deserved his forgiveness. And so do you see how self-centered that was? And so if you're there... Don't feel bad about it. I mean, I I didn't fully understand this, but all the glory for our salvation from both sides of the argument, all glory goes to God. 
Now, the next one in in this in the TULIP acronym would be unconditional election. And so from the Arminian side, they believe in conditional election. So, so here's a, a quote from the Arminian Articles of Faith, that God from all eternity hath decreed to elect to everlasting life all those who through his grace believe in Jesus Christ and in the same belief and obedience of faith persevere to the end. But the unconverted and unbelieving he had resolved to reject to everlasting damnation. Now, this is such an important concept to understand. You've got to get this if you want to understand Arminian theology. If you believe the Bible, you have to believe in predestination and election because they are biblical terms. You cannot ignore predestination and election. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, notice, we are blessed in Christ, we are chosen in Christ, and we are predestined through Christ. So Calvinists believe in unconditional election. Arminians believe in conditional election. And so here's how that would work. God, the, Arminians believe God freely chose how men would be saved. So he chose to save us through Jesus Christ. God also freely chose the conditions by which people would be saved. So that's what they mean by conditional election. He freely chose the conditions that we would be saved. He could have chosen, God could have chosen a certain set of rules that we have to follow. He could have chosen to save only a certain ethnicity. God could have freely chosen to save whoever he wanted. But instead, he freely chose to save us through belief or faith in Jesus Christ. That is the the way that God elected for us to be saved. And so all those who believe in Jesus are the elect. God predestined before the foundation of the world that anyone who believes in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins would be saved. And so let's go back to some verses, again, that I mentioned from the Calvinist side in the last few episodes. Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So Piccarelli goes through all of these passages in a lot of detail in his book. And, and that's one of the reasons I really liked it, because he goes right at you know, basically all the main verses that Calvinists use to justify their beliefs, and and he goes through and explains them from the Arminian perspective. So that's why I really enjoyed his book. So um, here in this verse, it says, God foreknew. Uh, It's those that God knows will have faith in him. There there is also a a relational aspect to this, and I mentioned it before. It's The Bible says, Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and and had a son. And so there's a relational aspect here to to this this foreknew or or knowing when God like God knows Israel among the other nations. It's not that God doesn't know about those nations. There there's a special relationship there. So um, Piccarelli goes through that language and explains some of that. 
predestination is what happens in salvation. And so if we look at it from that perspective, the verse says, he also predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So predestination is what will happen to us if we have faith in Jesus Christ. We will be conformed to the image of Jesus. And election is is how that happens. So God, again, God freely chose to save anyone who has faith in him. So in this way, he elected them. For Arminians, God's election is conditional, and the condition that is required is faith. So here's what Calvinists will say. Calvinists will try to say that the Arminian way of salvation is essentially a work. If God gives everybody equal grace, and then it is up to the person to choose God, then what is the determining factor of who is saved and who is damned? It's the decision of the person. Thus, it essentially all falls on the person to believe. If you are saved, the reason is because you were smart enough or humble enough to exercise faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so Calvinists here accuse Arminians of making salvation a work of the person rather than a work of God, because God just simply gives equal grace to everybody. So, so you know, they couldn't be saved without God, but the, re, the, the, the main factor that they're saved is their choice. Now, the Arminian response is simple and twofold. Basically, Arminians say, we simply don't see it that way. We are coming to God with empty hands of faith, bringing nothing of our own good works to the table. The Arminian confesses to God, I come with nothing to earn your favor. It, that's impossible. I come only in faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, and all the glory for my salvation and forgiveness of sins goes to the Lord. That would be the confession of the Arminian. And also, Calvinists try to make faith a into a work of some kind. They're saying that, you know, you're you're being saved by your own faith, which is sort of a work that you generate in your in your mind, and you you are the one that sort of earns your salvation by exercising faith. Well, the Arminian would say faith and works are opposites throughout the New Testament. So you really have to strain to make faith into a work. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so if someone gives you a gift, the only thing you have to do is receive that gift. You hold out empty hands. There's nothing you're doing to earn it. You're just holding out your empty hands and receiving that gift. So nobody, after opening a gift, says, look what I did to earn this. And so what about Romans 9? Romans 9 is the benchmark passage for Calvinists regarding election. Now, at the beginning of Romans 9, Paul is lamenting because the nation of Israel in general has rejected Jesus Christ. So if the Jews, descendants from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were supposed to be God's chosen people, then why have so many of them rejected Jesus? And Paul says this in Romans 9, uh, starting in verse 6, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So basically, it's Paul is saying here, it has nothing to do with who your daddy is, your, your physical earthly daddy. It has nothing to do with that. Um, it is about the promise of God, and, and the promise of God to Abraham's descendants, the, the true descendants, the, the spiritual descendants, the, the true Christians, 
are are Christians by faith, that we are children of Abraham by faith. Romans 4.13 says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In Galatians 3.7 it says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So continuing on with so so basically God's or Paul says in Romans 9 that it's not as though God's word has failed, but you've got to understand that it is it is the the, the true children of Abraham are those that have faith, not just blood descendants of Abraham. Okay? So in Romans 9, starting with verse 11, it says, this is talking about Jacob and Esau. It says, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now, Esau was the firstborn. So if this was just simply a um, uh, the way that it was supposed to be, Esau would have been the blessed one. But instead, God chose Jacob. And so basically, this verse is saying God's election is not to save people based on their good works, but it is based to save people on faith. The Jews were trying to earn God's favor and their salvation by following the law and good works. Um, But instead, God was merciful and he says it doesn't depend on your good works. It depends on faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't depend on who your parents are. It doesn't depend on your place in the world. It doesn't depend on if you are the firstborn, which was a big deal in that culture. It doesn't depend on any of that because the Jews were were arrogant in thinking we are the chosen people of God. And Paul's saying, no, this is not the way it is. You're only a true descendant of Abraham if you have faith. And so in Romans 9.16, it says, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God has mercifully chosen to save anyone who has faith in him, not just because you're a, a blood descendant of Abraham. Later on in, in Romans 9, it says, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as, as if it were based on works. And the Jews have stumbled over the stumbling stone. So they, the, the Jewish people were trying to follow all the little laws, and they, they made it over-technical. They put all their trust in following the laws, but their heart was not truly worshiping God. And so, the, so Paul says here, it is the people who have faith in God that are saved. And so God's election is that people would be saved by their faith in Jesus Christ. It is, that's what Arminians call this conditional election. The requirement, the condition is to have faith. Now, anyone who meets this condition is the elect. God elected Jesus Christ to be the way of salvation for all mankind. Some scripture to support this are some really well-known verses. So John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 Timothy 2:4, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So here, God desires everyone to be saved. This is possible through his provenient grace, enabling them to turn to him from their sin. So God chose the way for them to be saved. He didn't pick who would and who would not be saved, as in the Calvinist idea of unconditional election. God makes it possible for everyone to be saved. The next point here, well, in the TULIP acronym, it's limited atonement. That's what the Calvinists believe. 
uh, Arminians counter back with general atonement. So here's a quote from the Arminian Articles of Faith, that in consequence of this decree, Christ, the Savior of the world, died for all and every man, so that by his death he hath ordained reconciliation and pardon of sins for all men. Nevertheless, in such a manner that none but the faithful really and effectually enjoy the benefits thereof. Now, remember, the limited atonement for the Calvinists asked this question, for whom did Christ die? Because from a Calvinist perspective, if Jesus died for everyone's sins on the cross, why do some people still go to hell? Why does God continue to punish people for whom Christ died? The Bible clearly teaches that some people do go to hell, so Christ must not have paid their sin debt. And so for the Calvinists, Jesus must have died only for the elect. And this is not because that's all Jesus could afford or something like that, but because Jesus is a perfect Savior. From the Arminian perspective, this concept goes against many verses in the Bible. So 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. In John 3, 14 and 15, it says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this serpent in the wilderness idea is a reference to to Numbers 21. That's an Old Testament book, Numbers 20, chapter 21. The Israelites there were complaining against God and Moses, and so as a punishment, God sent serpents among them, and many people were bitten and died. Now, God in his mercy made a way for people to be healed. He told Moses to make a serpent out of bronze and raise it up on a pole, and anyone who turned and looked at the bronze serpent would be cured from their snakebite wound. Now, Jesus explains that he is the fulfillment of this symbol in the Old Testament. He, he was raised up on a cross, and all who look to Jesus on the cross and believe he took the punishment for their sins will be saved. So, back to the, the, uh, the quote from the Arminian Articles of Faith. It, it closes in this way. It says, "...in such a manner that none but the faithful really and effectually enjoy the benefits thereof." So, this is talking about Jesus paid the sin debt for everyone, but only the faithful really and effectually enjoy the benefits. So, Jesus died for everyone on the cross, but like someone accepting a gift, it is only your gift if you accept it. That is when the payment of Jesus is applied to your account. That's how an Arminian sees the the idea of the atonement. In the Calvinist system, Jesus did not technically die for everyone's sin. Therefore, the offer to turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins is not a true offer. So here's an illustration. If I walked into a room of 100 people, 50 of them spoke English and 50 spoke Spanish, and they weren't allowed to talk to each other or, or translate, okay? Now, If I had paid off the mortgages of the 50 people who spoke English, and then I announced in English, anyone who comes to me in thankfulness will have their mortgages paid off. Okay, so that's the offer. Now, for the 50 people who only speak Spanish, they don't understand. They can't hear the call. And furthermore, so they can't respond in the way that they need to respond. And so this is kind of like in a Calvinist system, people who are blind to their own sin without Without God explaining that they're sinful, they, they, they don't even realize it, and they cannot respond. And, and also, I didn't actually pay off their mortgages. And so when I say anyone who comes to me in thankfulness will have their mortgages paid off, essentially only the people who speak English are going to understand that, and only they will come. And the Spanish people, it's, it's, not, 
it's not even a true offer because they don't understand it. That if they and and I didn't pay for the debt. So Arminians would say that this this statement is not really true. That anyone who comes to me will be forgiven because some people just can't come. And so the idea of limited atonement makes the call to repent and believe a hollow or empty call. And our and and Piccarelli says it this way: if the offer is not truly made, then it cannot be truly rejected. The next point is irresistible grace from the Calvinist perspective, and from the Arminians, they say resistible grace. So here's the quote, Therefore, this grace is the cause of the beginning, the progress, and the completion of man's salvation, insomuch that no one could believe or persevere in faith without this operating grace, and consequently that all good works must be ascribed to the grace of God in Christ. Nevertheless, the manner of the operation of this grace was not irresistible. So the Calvinist believes when God dispenses his saving grace on someone's life, they cannot resist it. Thus, it is irresistible grace. Now, this is the part where I shared Charles Spurgeon's illustration about a pig being changed into a man. Once a man, the man will not choose pig slop over filet mignon. He is a new creation, and God has changed his heart. So he will essentially irresistibly choose God. For the Arminian, the free will choice of man to follow God is the way God is shown true love by his creation. Love is not true love unless it can choose to do otherwise. In Arminianism, everyone who is saved are people who see the goodness of God and choose to follow him. They are not made to worship him. They choose to worship him. In all of our normal relationships, this makes more sense. A a guy wants his girlfriend to like him. He desires that she choose to be with him and not just because he makes her. So God is powerful enough to make everybody worship him, but he chose to let people make a choice for themselves. He bestows grace on them, which allows them to see they are sinners and offers a way of forgiveness. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So don't misunderstand Arminianism. God doesn't just give everybody enough grace to make a decision and then leave them alone. Arminians believe God is working all along. He gives us prevenient grace, freeing us from our total depravity. He gives us his word, the Bible, and he also gives us those who preach the word in order to convict our hearts. He uses the preaching of the gospel to call people to himself. His sanctifying grace works in us to make us more like Jesus Christ, and he will glorify us one day. His grace is the beginning and the consummation of our salvation. You know, as the article quoted above, this grace is the cause of the beginning, the progress, and the completion of man's salvation. So Arminians, too, can quote verses like Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Arminians also believe that God's grace can be resisted. Joshua 24, 15, and I'm sort of um, abbreviating this verse, but Joshua says to the people of Israel, Choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Matthew 23, 37, Old Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this is, this is Jesus speaking. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Acts 7.51 says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. In Psalm 106.33, this is the NIV, it says, For they rebelled against the Spirit of God. 
So it's verses like this which lead Arminians to believe that God's grace, the, the working of the Holy Spirit, can be resisted. So the last of the five points I want to talk about, for the Calvinists, it was the pea and tulip perseverance of the saints. And so Arminians, well, let me say this, some Arminians believe that you that one can fall from grace, that you could be saved and then lose your salvation. Um, I, I, probably a better way to say it is you can be saved and then reject, choose to reject your salvation. And so I, I got to say this too. Just like Calvinists, there's there's some Calvinists that call themselves four-point Calvinists, and usually it's the, the idea of limited atonement that they don't profess. In this way, Arminians can be sort of like four-point Arminians and, and not hold to this one. So there's certainly a lot of people that have an Arminian um, theological perspective that don't believe that a truly saved person can lose their salvation, okay? Uh, but here's the, here's the quote. True believers can fall from true faith and can fall into such sins as cannot be consistent with true and justifying faith. Not only is it possible for this to happen, but it even happens frequently. Um, Another quote says, True believers are able to fall through their own fault into shameful and atrocious deeds, to persevere and to die in them, and therefore finally to fall and to perish. So again, just like limited atonement, uh, some uh, Calvinists don't profess that one. Arminians do not hold to this this idea that you can lose your salvation, some of them. Um, So a common kind of Christianese phrase to describe this is once saved, always saved. However, there are plenty of people who do believe salvation can be lost, and there are many opinions on this point. So I'm not going to try to defend all the little nuances, and I'll try to stick to what I believe is the majority opinion on how this happens. Uh, Piccarilli here again. I, I just love saying that name, Piccarilli. Uh, anyway, here's a quote. On the matter of perseverance, which had not been so crucial an issue as predestination, Arminius was cautious. So Piccarilli is saying this is sort of a touchy subject, and, and Arminius never really fully committed to either way. So here's a quote from Jacob Arminius. I never taught that a true believer can either totally or finally fall away from the faith and perish. Yet I will not conceal that there are passages of Scripture which seem to me to wear this aspect. And so some Scripture about falling away from faith. Hebrews warns several times of this. Hebrews 3, 12-14 says this, "'Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end.'" Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to content. John three sixteen. so you may think, whoa, where's he going with this? says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, here's a little Greek lesson for you. Again, I am not an expert in biblical Greek. I have studied it, and I'm getting this information from my textbook, and this is according to Bill Mounts. So he wrote a a book called The Basics of Biblical Greek. That's what I used to study. So believes here in in John 3.16, whoever believes in him, 
believes is a present active participle in Greek. So a participle in the English language often ends with ing. And so a rough translation of how this present active participle could be translated is that whoever is believing in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever is believing. So according to Bill Mounts, the present active participle is conveying continuous action. Thus, John 3.16 cannot be used as a verse for someone who just simply repeats what the pastor says some Sunday morning and then just goes on living life in the same sin they had before they walked into the church. No, this continuous action of believing means a true Christian continues to believe that they are a sinner forgiven graciously through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So this belief fuels a change in the way that person lives. Although it may not be immediate in many cases, that person will not continue to enjoy their sin. And so the Bible certainly encourages people to remain faithful in the Lord. Jesus encouraged his disciples to endure hardship. Toward the end of his earthly ministry, he tells them this, Matthew 24, 10-13, And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So that kind of wraps up the five Arminian articles of uh, of faith. Well, you know, we can call it whatever we want, I guess. But uh, that that wraps it up, and I've sort of compared and contrasted to the Calvinist tulip beliefs, all right? Um, so next week, I will conclude this discussion of Calvinism and Arminianism. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of—I'm not role-playing next week or anything. I'm just kind of sharing some different uh, viewpoints, and, and actually, I'm going to— you know, hopefully it'll kind of challenge you to think through some of these issues. And so, and and again, I want to get you into the Bible. I want you studying the Bible and and figuring out what you believe based on what the Bible says. Keep in mind, both camps, Calvinists and Arminians, affirm the reliability of the Bible and seek to be consistent in their interpretation of every single verse. And so these are, these are true men and women of God who are trying to honor God and glorify God in everything that they do. And so I, I've really enjoyed studying, and I, and I continue to learn from both sides. Here's our closing verse, John 3:21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Mm-hmm.